quite a build-up. Um, uh, there's an old saying, if you bring forth what's inside of you, what's inside of you will save you. If you do not bring forth what's inside of you, what's inside of you will destroy you. Um, it was the 1970s, uh, I was five years old. Star Elementary School, uh, shag carpeting everywhere, conversation pits, the library three stories high with skylights. And I discovered the written word, I fell in love with language and books. And I was terrified of the other students and I hated school generally, but I loved books. And I would find myself alone, which is bizarre because it was a public school and it was, there was no reason why I would remember being alone all the time, but I remember being alone with my stacks of books, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, um, Roald Dahl's uh, James and the Giant Peach. Um, I think there was uh, a, a burgeoning writer in, in, in uh, developing at that time. And uh, I remember I wrote my first short story when I was five, and it was, we'd had a built-in swimming pool, which at the time was affordable, it doesn't mean anything about our status. Um, you could get a built-in swimming pool for 10 grand in those days, which was probably a lot, but anyway. Um, and I wrote this short story about the, the bubbles landing in the pool, and they made the, and I was convinced that they were little spaceships, and this was, I was, a, I guess I was a sci-fi writer when I was five, which I'm not anymore, but um, I was convinced that they were, in, you know, they were invading, and my father was delighted that I'd written the story, and that was very cool. But for, for after that, somehow I got lost, and I'd forgotten how much I loved words, and I loved language. And for seven, for the last seventeen years, I just I I've gone down the road that uh, they say is the most often traveled, and it led me as far away from myself as I could possibly be. Um, I think it probably led me all the way to hell. In fact, um, I was living in Michigan in the Midwest, and um, <laughs> <laughs> not that that's hell, but well, <laughs> I'll let you decide for yourself. Holland, Michigan, specifically, which I think might actually be hell. Um, where the saying is, if you ain't that, you ain't much. And I was neither. And I mean, ev everything was white in Holland. Um, the, the houses were painted white, the people were painted white. Um, and, and I was miserable. And I'm, I was drinking way too much, and I was married, and I, I really needed to get out. And I climbed to the top of my career ladder. I was working as an RN, and I'd been working for the, with the chronically mentally ill for 17 years. And I, you know, I'd gotten my master's degree in psychology, and I loved working with this population. I was really drawn to them, their honesty, and their um, just their, they don't give a shit about what anybody thinks, and I thought that was really cool. And, you know, <laughs> wearing five coats in the middle of summer somehow. <laughs> and so I, I, I was running my own psych unit at the time. I was uh, living in, at that, at that point, I'd actually moved to Holland, Michigan. I mean, to Allegan, Michigan, excuse me. And um, I was in, literally in the middle of nowhere running this little nine patient um, psych unit, and I climbed to the top of my career ladder. I had everything, I had a house on the lake, I, you know, I was, I really, I thought I'd made it, and I was miserable. Um, and somehow, I, I, I just decided I have to, I have to, absolutely have to get out of here, and um, so I did, and um, I, it was funny because I kept, I kept connecting, somehow I think when you're on that road, when you're, you're kind of lost, you keep connecting with people who ensure that you stay lost. There was the, the, the first girlfriend who I was in a relationship with for nine years, and I remember the day that I told her, um, I want to. I want to be a painter. I want to paint like Francis Bacon, which I know is grandiose. But um, I was in love with his work, and I said, I, I just want to. I want to be able to paint like this. And she looked at me and she said, very seriously, she said, "You can't just one day decide that you're going to be an artist." And I thought that that was kind of odd. And then the 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 wife of 15 years, when I told her, you know, I really think I want to be a writer. I said, I'm really kind of attracted to to, to fiction, and I think I'd, I'd like to maybe write short stories or a novel. And she said. 
I think you should stick to painting, you'll never be a writer. You don't, you don't have what it takes, you don't have the patience, you don't care about narrative. And, and, I, and then, her, then her mom, my mother-in-law, comes along and says, you should become a nurse, because you'll always have a job and you'll make lots of money. And she was actually, she was right about that. And I had, I had nursing job after nursing job after nursing job, and I kept quitting them. I, I was the poster boy for um, the definition of crazy, where you keep doing the same thing over and over again, you expect different results. But then I finally, um, I moved, I got out of the Midwest, I finally split. Yay. Yay, yeah, I, know exactly. I got out. And um, I, you know, I took the train, as I, I, I was afraid of flying, I went through my fear of flying. It, and so I took the train out to Portland, Oregon, the promised land. And as far as promised lands go, it's actually not too bad. Um, and then I, I'd taken another, another, yet another nursing job, even though I, I thought I'd pretty much learned my lesson. And then I just, I couldn't, I had something really, really bad happen. I started to get really sick. Um, I started to have horrible, horrible panic attacks. And um, the things that I found endearing about the psychiatric patients suddenly became frightening. And the things that drew me to them were the same things that were making me cross the street to get away from them. And eventually this went on for weeks and weeks and I couldn't sleep and I was getting more and more depressed. And I think um, Jung calls this psychic poisoning when you've been working with this depressed, you know, nihilistic sort of um, just, um, just miserable population. I think you start to internalize this. And it's funny because thinking back, I remember when I first took my my very first counseling job working with uh, at a giant lock psychiatric unit in Silmar, California. It still exists. It's one of the last freestanding um, long-term psychiatric hospitals where patients stay for months and months. She said to me, she said, I, I, I'm afraid that someone like you who's sensitive to sort of an artistic personality is going to internalize their despair and their hopelessness. And I just laughed. I said, that's really it's not going to happen. And she was absolutely right. It just took 17 years to happen. So the person I was living with at the time when I started getting more and more depressed and having these panic attacks is I'm gonna take you to the hospital, you need, you need help, you can't, you can't, this is not sustainable, you can't continue on this. So I went to Kaiser on the, I think it's the Sunnyside Road or somewhere um, out east. And I stayed for three weeks, which in HMO times is like, that's like 30 years. Um, so I was obviously really fucked up, very, very depressed and incredibly suicidal. And um, I'd had a stockpile of pills. Um, I was done, I was ready to check out. I was completely, completely miserable. Um, and not, I think it's just because I wasn't, wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. And um, at some point they said, we're gonna give, we think that you're so depressed and you're so you're such a risk to yourself that we're going to give you shock treatment. And I, I was, at first I was like, well, it's just one of the things that I'm most horrified, of, you know, to get. It's one of the things I was most adamantly against. Um, it seemed abusive and invasive, and I, I, I thought I would never, ever subject anyone else to that, certainly not me. And then I found myself begging them for it. I was so incredibly unhappy that I'm like, I just shock the shit out of me, I don't care. I will, I'll sign in blood, like, um, you know, I, I, whatever you have to do, just kill every single thing that you hate about me. Get rid of all of it. And I went through 12 sessions of shock treatment. And then, you know, one, one on the unit and then 12 on an outpatient basis. And something miraculous happened. I got worse. I actually got more and more depressed. I didn't think it was possible to be this depressed as someone who struggled with depression and anxiety on and off his whole life and been on medication since he was in his 20s. Um, 
I didn't think it was possible to be this depressed. I actually, at some point, I considered going to Lourdes for maybe for a healing or call the Vatican and ask for an exorcism. I'm like, just whatever's going on with me, please get it out of me. I, I was miserable. Um, for about a year, I, we had a little, um, a little rust uh, velveteen sofa that was just about this wide and it was shaped like a womb and I would curl up into it for hours and hours at a time daydreaming about my own suicide. Um, I'd call gun stores and said, you know, what do you have to do to buy a gun? And it's remarkably easy to get a gun. Actually, if you're not a felon, and I'm not, um, 15 minutes you can walk out with a handgun and, and all the bullets you could your heart, your little heart would desire. And I never did that, even though I was so deranged that I actually called, you know, I, I imagined conversations with my best friend saying, um, I've decided that my life isn't worth living. I was wondering if you maybe you would go to the gun store with me, lunch is on me. And um, that's how completely psychotic I'd become that I thought, you know, maybe I just, you know, I just needed company. I didn't want to do this by myself, but I never, I never actually made that trip. Um, but at some point it had gotten to be so bad that I would find myself just, I would be screaming for hours at a time. Just, I had to, I had to get this out of me somehow. And I would just, I would scream until I couldn't scream anymore. And I would just curl up exhausted and I would sleep. And then finally it got to be so bad that um, I decided that either I'm gonna, either I'm out of here, I'm gonna end this, or I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna dig myself out of this hole. So what I did is um, I signed up for a kickboxing class. And um, I just, I remember the first day that I went, I was just shaking with anxiety and I was probably pretty hopped up on Ativan and whatever else I could get my hands on just to make it bearable. And I was so depressed that you know I had my hood on and I just, I, I literally just, crawled to this uh, class that was a few blocks away. And I did that for a few weeks and it helped a little bit. And then I decided that I would listen to that voice inside of my head that said, you're a writer. You've always been a writer, you just don't know it yet. You daydream about sentences, you go to sleep at night thinking about words. Um, you should take a writing class. So I did, I got one of those, the little, the little um, PCC handbooks uh, catalog and I signed up for Nancy Wood's writing class. And she's actually here tonight. And um, I don't know if she knew it or anybody in the class knew it, how incredibly depressed that I was at that particular time and that I just had to force myself to drive there to those classes. And she created the safe space. And um, I was able to write and not be afraid of my ideas. And she said that my writing was intelligent and warm and funny and edgy and dark and all of the things that I wanted it to be. And after the, after the class, I said, I want to be a stand-up comedian. That's what I've always wanted to do. <laughs> so I signed up for a stand-up comedy class. And I, and I actually showed up this time. And I went, to the entire, I went to the entire class. And I performed 12 or so times and um, got a few laughs and decided that was not my cup of tea. But I did meet a, a wonderful person, Sue, who's actually in the audience tonight. And she came up to me a couple of weeks after the class and she'd read my ex-wife's memoir, Mennonite in a Little Black, Dr little black Dress, a best-selling memoir about what an asshole I am. And, and, um, it takes me a long time to muster up the courage to read it, but she read it and she came to me and she said, you know, Craig, I think that there's a lot of lies in, in this book. I know a lot about you. I don't think a lot of this stuff is true. You should write your own memoir because meta-memoirs are really hot right now. You'll write your own memoir and you'll be a bestseller and then you can move to Italy and you know, live happily ever after. So I, I took the challenge, I was angry enough, and that's kind of what prompted me to do it. And I wrote the first five or six chapters, I came this close to having an agent, and then I finally decided, you know, this really isn't what I want to write either. I'm, I'm still being held hostage by someone else's idea of what I should be doing. Um, so what I did, I decided I wanted to be a novelist, or in short stories. 
So I signed up for, um, for another fiction class, which I just recently, um, I'm almost completed. And my first short story, except for the one when I was five, which I don't really count, um, I turned in and, and the professor who's a kind of a cross between um, H.L. Mencken and Mark Twain, the kind of guy who just fucking hates everything. Um, I, turned, I turned it in and he was very, he was actually very complimentary and he said that, you know, there were flashes of lightning and blah, 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 and um, otherwise it was just a complete disaster. And that was, that was, that was the, the, the push that I needed. And um, I've, since then I've been doing some open mics. I've been reading the, the pieces that I've written. I'm working on my second, second short story. I am close to 40 pages into what I've decided will be a 400-page novel because that's about the length that will guarantee that you don't get published and that no one will read it. <laughs> and, um, it's, it's the tale of uh, Dr. Randall and uh, St. Ultima uh, Ratio Regium Hospital and the, uh, the antics that ensue there. And um, uh, Hopefully it'll get published and you can all read about it. Um, and I'll be honest with you, it's been, it's been a struggle and it continues to be a struggle. Um, there are days when I'm not sure I'm gonna be able to do it. Um, the novel or anything else, uh, life for that matter. And um, I still have, uh, I still have the um, gun storage programmed into my phone, but um, they don't hear from me quite as often anymore. 